Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Cubs Reds tonight at the Field of Dreams game. Although I wouldn't I wouldn't blame anyone for accidentally mistaking the Cubs and Cardinals. They're both hated rivals here in my part of town. So we will be talking later about the Cubs and Reds facing off in the Field of Dreams game. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. In tonight, Jeff Turn filling in for Fitz. And we have a, a, a brief history of both having affiliations with the Levitard show and Jeff and the fine people of Sioux Falls doing their darndest to get Stu Gotts to come out and make it Stu Falls. We'll get to that later because sadly Jeff somehow still has a hope in his heart that that will happen. I don't know how after being beaten down so many times you can still believe, but I respect that about you, Jeff, somehow. Yeah, you know, I am the eternal optimist, so I definitely uh, will continue to always believe in the positive things in life, even though there are more negative things usually with Stu Gatz than positive. <laughs> but uh, I am super pumped tonight because the Field of Dreams game is something that around my neck of the woods as well, uh, you know, a lot of people are excited about with it not being too far from South Dakota. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to be there a couple times, and last nice. year was so special. So I'm looking forward to watching the festivities unfold this evening. Yes, we'll talk Field of Dreams. We'll talk about Sioux Falls and your background later in the show, but we got to get to the biggest news of the day, and that's the news that Tom Brady will be away from his team to, quote, deal with some personal things for quite a stretch. She's going to be back after next week's preseason game against the Titans on August 20th, so about nine or ten days away from the squad, and Todd Bowles made clear that this was something that they had planned ahead for. They didn't want to take away reps from Blaine and uh, Kyle and as well as Griff as far as going into these next two games and it's something he needs to handle. We trust him. We talked about it. It was like it was scheduled way before training camp and he will not be here until after Tennessee. Yeah, if he didn't have the years and the experience that the guy has and comes in and works diligently, I would definitely be concerned. It's a personal issue and that, that's, that's all I can tell you. Yeah, I mean, it is Brady, so you think, oh, what does this guy need? Uh, he's been around for long enough, but he has new offensive linemen. He has new weapons. You're always going to still need to get back ready for uh, the the real thing, full speed. So uh, I'm not worried about his absence, but there's got to be a good reason for him to have planned ahead to time not being with the team. Absolutely. I mean, I don't obviously have any crystal ball to tell you what that is, but I think if there's anybody in this league that – we would be uber comfortable with missing something like this. It would be Tom Brady, especially considering, uh, you know, what we see a lot of times as guys under sort of the same umbrella of Brady that excel late in their career. You know, they pace themselves so well throughout a season. And I'm sure that whatever this is, if they were able to plan it out, it made a lot more sense for them to plan it out in August and have him be away from the team for something that they were going to plan out and maybe him miss a potential regular season game if it was that important. So, yeah, I think for Bulls, I mean, he makes the good point, though, that even though it is Brady, if it was another quarterback, he would be highly concerned. So if you, you know, kind of level that down to being Brady, it still has to be something where any coach hates sort of that, you know, uh, upheaval in what their overall plan is during preseason. Mm -hmm. Now, like you said, we don't know exactly what the cause for his departure is, but 
It's pre-planned, and usually yeah. when we hear personal things, it's something to do with your family uh, or your health, uh, which I imagine if it was health-related, we'd be getting some sort of more specific update from the team on something that would take him away and potentially affect his play. This doesn't feel like that. Devin White, one of the linebackers for the Bucks, might have given us a hint, uh, although you never know if the language he chose was intentional or not. Here's what he said about Brady being gone. You know, he got he, he's a human. At the end of the day, you know, he got personal problems going on, but... He's a guy that he's been doing this so long, he don't need to be here. You know, if he's not here, we know he's still working. You know, he got a great uh, supporting cast around him, and he's going to get his work in rather, you know, if he's here or not here. So when he come back, he'll never miss a beat, and that's the, uh, that's the only important thing, you know. But more than football, you know, we're praying for whatever he got going on as a human being, and, you know, we hope everybody else do too. Right. Uh, again, we don't know if it was intentional, but he said the phrase personal problems going on. And so that sounds like, and I'm totally making this up, but if I had to guess at something you could plan ahead for that you would call personal problems, it might be his wife having said, what, six or seven years ago that she wanted him to retire? And it's right around when kids are going back to school. Is there any chance so, he needs to be around for some important family thing? Because she's like, listen, we've been talking about this for the last however many years. If you're going to play again for a full season, I at least demand that these days you devote to the family. I need some some clarity then on what are the problems? Are the personal problems the children? Is it the marital situation because you're not being right, home? Right. Somebody's the problem then in that situation. It, now. it could be like an ultimatum. Okay. It's over I've had, if I've you're had not many here of those in my for life. you know my dad's 80th birthday and or the kid's first day of school and or whatever it is. I think too the the part about the prayers uh, you should be praying for him and I'd hope everyone else does too. Leads you to believe Devin White probably knows what it is. Right. But but in that situation, too, like, the last thing you want to do as a player on that team is tip your hand to what right. Brady's going through and have him come back and stand in front of your locker and be like, listen, man. So I, I'm sure anyone that's asked about that question now and over the next couple of weeks until Brady returns is going to be a little bit nervous, too. So maybe they just may slip a word that isn't what they mean. And so maybe we're leading into it too much. But the prayers part yeah. I thought was interesting, too, because clearly there's some sort of concern for his absence with regards to him being a human, as Devin White pointed out. It's Spain and Fit, Sarah Spain, Jeff Turn from ESPN Sioux Falls. What's the handle over there? What's the number? Nobody's going to listen anyway, Sarah. Don't worry about you it. You don't know that. They won't <laughs> if you have that attitude. Hey, hey man, you know, you already beat that me earlier tease. about Stu Gatz. I don't know if anybody's going to ever listen again either. So it's 102.3 uh, ESPNSiouxFalls.com. But um, I, I wanted to point out something else, too, from what, what they were kind of alluding to there for a second with the, the preseason. The only thing that I think would – be an extra layer of concern as you mentioned the offensive line issues and it's not just an offensive line alignment it's the center that you're missing there so I think for any other you know time Brady missing time it probably wouldn't be as big of a deal but when you're trying to get in rhythm with a new center I think that might actually be concerning and they may not want to admit it on that front yeah well speaking of preseason we've got two games tonight Giants and Patriots just kicked off I don't know how much we'll actually get to see, but I think people are real interested in what New England looks like after the terrifying tweets that are coming from camp with a threat level orange on on, on this. We're not going to see Mac Jones, so we really won't get a look at just how disastrous or not to be worried about that offense. We've also got Titans at Ravens. That's a 7.30 p.m. Eastern kickoff. The Ravens have the all-important 20 straight preseason wins on the line, an NFL record that means absolutely nothing. Uh, but still, I guess you want to 
I guess you want to keep the streak going. Yeah, uh, you don't ever <laughs> want to stop a streak like that. I mean, especially if you're one of those dudes that's just trying to make the team. That maybe gives you added motivation not to check out at the end of the game. Yeah, I like that streak. That's a good one. That's right. Uh, official record unknown, but since we started counting, uh, it's the longest. So I imagine they <laughs> want to keep that going. We'll keep an eye on those games. But coming up, we've also got some Deshaun Watson news. His camp trying to make public a suggestion about what his suspension should be. Will the NFL even remotely care? We'll get into it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. As always, Jeff Turn of ESPN 1023 FM AM 1000 Radio in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, in for Fitz tonight. We'll get to the reasons why Jeff and I have spoken on several occasions before this <laughs> chance meeting later in the show. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, as we said yesterday on the show, uh, we do not expect to actually see tomorrow uh, in, in the preseason opener for the Browns. Not because the Browns have elected to sit him. In fact, they made the announcement just yesterday before boarding their flight to Jacksonville that he would be playing. But I do not see a way that Roger Goodell in the NFL allows that decision to be made by the designee appointed by Roger Goodell, the former um, AG in, uh, in, in New Jersey. Uh, I don't see any way they allow that decision to come after fans, people watching TV, anyone associated with the NFL has a chance to see Deshaun Watson in uniform this season. And I say that in part because he absolutely made no bones about how he feels about the situation in a presser just a couple days ago. We've seen the evidence. She was very clear about the evidence. Uh, she reinforced the evidence uh, that there was uh, multiple violations here, and they were egregious, and it was predatory behavior. That's, those are things that we felt, um, we always felt were really important for us to address in a way that's responsible. Yeah, I mean, he's just reiterating that there is absolutely no chance whatever suspension comes down isn't significantly more than Sue L. Robinson's original suspension. And I can't imagine they, they just would ever allow for anyone to see him this season if the intent is to have him suspended at least a year. Now, I would push back on just the, the preseason part of it. Um, I think that they would do everything humanly possible to not have – in a, you know, him taking this to court after their decision that would allow him to get an injunction to potentially play in week one. I would consider them to probably come up with some sort of settlement uh, from that point to, to make it not happen. But when you're suspended, usually in the NFL, usually you're allowed to play in the preseason. Hopkins, others, you know, when you get suspended, you can. So the past precedent there would allow him to do so. And I think through all of this, the NFL has set themselves up in such a bad position because they have set up such a precedent that allowed Sue L. Robinson to hand down a suspension like she did based on the inadequacies of prior suspensions from the NFL. And, I mean, if I'm the Browns, I would have played my cards just like this if I would have decided to get into a situation with Deshaun Watson. The minute, you know, Jimmy Haslam gave this man $230 million, he made it very clear his only goal through all of this is to win a championship with Deshaun Watson and be damned all the bad PR that's going to come from it. So I'm not surprised at all that the Browns announced that yesterday. I'm sure some of it 
was to maybe push the hand of the NFL. But some of it I also think is to say, listen, we're going to do everything we can to win Deshaun Watson comes back to win a Super Bowl. If that gets him on the football field to get some reps in early, hasn't played in 18 months, I'd do it. I don't agree with how this has all happened, but I certainly get why they are. But I don't know. I just I feel like we are going to see him on Friday, and it's going to be awkward, and uh, there are going to be people that are upset, and then we're going to have the reaction that the Browns maybe didn't want to get into but will have to answer to once again. Here's where I disagree. It's Spain and Fitz, uh, Sarah Spain, Jeff Turn of ESPN, Sioux Falls, because the precedent that you're speaking to that allows for playing in the preseason happens when a player is suspended for less than a season because the presumption is then they need to work out with the team in order to be ready for the game action that they're going to see. The NFL has no intention of allowing Deshaun Watson to play this season. They made that clear in their request to Sue L. Robinson. I think most people believe that the second suspension that will come down from the designee will be at least a season, in which case he would not be available for the preseason. That's why I think they want to get out ahead of it and say, if we're going to make him suspended and not see him for an entire season we don't want to have to deal with the optics of him ever suiting up and taking the field knowing what everyone knows about the situation particularly because the nfl is pushing for some sort of treatment and therapy to understand the pathology behind repeated premeditated predatory behavior and to have someone playing immediately after the ruling that he did sexually assault multiple people and that he was predating on people, I think is the thing that they're trying to avoid, regardless of whether it doesn't count as a real game. As for the injunction that you mentioned, it's not likely because of the new system. It used to be a two-sided system where the NFL was one side, the NFLPA was the other, and the ruling would come from the NFL, allowing for an appeal from the NFLPA. The NFLPA did not appeal the original. So the six games is going to stand regardless. And usually an injunction would mean that that some court would have to believe it is more than likely that the second ruling will be less than the original. So there's no way he's going to play in week one regardless because the NFLPA can't appeal the suspension that they already let stand. And there's no way that independent court would believe that whatever's going to come down from the designee would be less than that six games. So we know we're not seeing him in the first six games of the regular season. No chance. The question is, how many more games after that first six does this new punishment tack on? And that's where I would I would look at it from the past precedent situation with regards to the number of games that are going to be added on. And that's why I think the preseason will still be in play. I know everybody keeps saying a full year, but I, I don't know how – And even though it's appointed by the NFL, they're going to look at this and go, all right, we need to three times the suspension that was handed down by an independent individual that looked at this situation. I I keep going back to Sue L. Robinson and and going, so so in a situation where this new person is looking at the case, they believe a former judge really messed it up one third of what they were supposed to do. Well, no, because she didn't. She, she, but she didn't. She, she said that the NFL proved every part of its case and essentially wrote out that she was hamstrung by the precedent, by the fact that the NFL hadn't put into words what they deemed a violation relating to what she called nonviolent sexual assault would be. And therefore she felt it was unfair to players to assign anything above and beyond doubling what she was already doing, which was the most egregious given out for what she called, again, a nonviolent sexual assault, which is a, a ridiculous phrase. And every time I say it, I, I, I can't believe I have to say nonviolent sexual assault. Th- that's one thing is the designee could come out and say, believing that this man was a danger to the safety of others, which Sue L. Robinson revealed that she agreed with. 
And that sexual assault is inherently violent, per the CDC's definition and every normal human being's definition, that he could rule that it was applicable to punishments that were violent in the past, which have been longer than that six games. And also, because it was a pattern, it was the most egregious, etc., he could then elevate beyond what they've seen before. I think that's what the NFL honestly wanted from Sue L. Robinson was to set a new precedent, believing that they had proved their case, when in fact what they what they found was that their previous horrific record on these kind of crimes is the thing that kept them from getting what they were pursuing this time. And I, I don't disagree with, I think that's what the NFL's mission is. I just kind of think that they're going to fall somewhere in the middle. And I think it's going to be a 12-game suspension. He misses two-thirds of the season, and he plays on Friday night, whether they hand down that suspension tomorrow or after the fact. And so if they do go, go a full season, then it changes the cards with regards to what could potentially happen on Friday night. And then, of course, like you said, if it is a full season, then it wouldn't be a situation where he'd be eligible to play because the presumption is you aren't going to play at all, meaning yeah. he'd be out. I just, I think it's, I don't think it's going to end up being a full year because, Sarah, speaking of precedent, they always fumble this stuff. And yeah. so even though it's out there and everybody's talking about it, they've always been out there and everybody's been talking about it. And somehow we always come back to the point of trying to go, what did we just see unfold? Well, and that's partly why, as we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, it, it's been made clear that they have to change the personal conduct policy. And that doesn't have to be collectively bargained. That's something that Roger Goodell has the power to do uh, unilaterally. And I believe he needs to after this. Do you this think the owners will let him do that, though? Yeah, because he did the same thing with Ray Rice, if you recall. And I think they're aware that public perception of the NFL's terrible record on this stuff is... Um, is not only how do people care more, but the public ex expectation of the NFL continues to be greater suspensions and more care. They've gotten such a bad rep on this stuff that I think they recognize by pursuing something and then being denied because of their own policies that they need to change those policies. Otherwise, they're setting themselves up for the exact same thing uh, in the future. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jeff Turn of ESPN 1023 FM. Sue Falls with me here tonight in place of Fitz. Uh, real quick, uh, speaking of legal issues, Marshawn Lynch arrested on suspicion of DWI, found him in his damaged sports car asleep, smelled of alcohol, uh, didn't want to comply with arrest and was uh, uh, in a bad state, it would seem, when he was arrested. So we'll keep you updated on that story that recently came out. Coming up, we head to the cornfields of Iowa to chat with an MLB insider about the Field of, Dream games Field of Dreams game tonight. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and could be good again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. There from Field of Dreams, it's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jeff Turner of ESPN, Sue Falls, in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Cubs are up 2-0 right now as the Field of Dreams game is underway. Before it got started, we had a chance to talk to Jesse Rogers about everything that we'll see tonight. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, a triple threat of protection with home, auto, and more. Visit Progressive.com.
Let's get some insight from Jesse Rogers, ESPN MLB insider, covers the Cubs all the time, mostly when they're playing well enough to deserve coverage and also when they're playing in events that get good coverage. So let's talk this Field of Dreams game. Sometimes you wonder for the younger players if it still hits a movie this old, but sounds like it based on guys like Joey Votto and some of the other players. So talk about why it's so special, even for younger guys, to get to play in this game. Yeah, it's a great point, Sarah, because there were a few players like, yeah, I think I saw the movie, which I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gathering means they didn't. But there were many that have and, and saw it recently, and Joey Votto was probably the most passionate about it. The, the father-son connection, that, that was the thing that he highlighted. Um, other players just talked about the idea of you know, playing in the backfield, playing in a cornfield, just growing up and playing baseball for the fun of it. And that's kind of what this game is tonight. It's almost a glorified exhibition game because unlike last year with the Sox and Yankees, this really doesn't have an impact on the standings. In fact, it really only has an impact on the draft lottery because both teams are so bad. Um, so it really is about the heart of the game getting back to why we love it, why they love it, even if they're young and don't remember the movie when it came out, unlike you and I. But mm -hmm. Patrick Wisdom just watched it again last night, and he's like, man, it's just such a cool movie. And Marcus Stroman watched it recently, and so did David, David Ross. And, of course, you, you heard about Joey Votto. So it, it's a bunch of things. But mostly I think the connection with family. We always hear about that in moments like these, just the, the, the passing on from mother or father to, to son or daughter. And, and that's something I heard from players and, and David Ross as well today. Yeah, and a lot of uh, just talking about it being simple. I've heard so many people just talk about how much they're enamored with the idea in the kind of world we're in now and the years that we've had the last couple of years to just get back to something as simple as playing baseball in a cornfield and remembering sort of what it felt like when we were kids and we saw the movie. We're talking to Jesse Rogers, ESPN MLB insider. You mentioned last year's game, a hell of a finish, a hell of a start with some of the movie's stars coming out on the field. The scenes were incredible. The sunset was gorgeous. I mean, it is going to be tough to top with two teams that have really nothing at stake here. What are they offering up this year to make this edition special? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think if they could equal last year's experience, that'd be great. The weather is just as good. The sunset will be just as glorious, I think. I'm not sure about the game, but you never know. I mean, <laughs> two good teams went at it and had a good game. Maybe two bad teams can go at it and have a good game. But once it starts, you know, the record, it doesn't really matter. There will be a moment of silence for Ray Liotta. He passed recently, one of the stars of the movie. I don't believe Kevin Costner is here, but there will be some other um, actors and actresses that were in the movie here um, that weren't here last year. So um, it, it'll be different. They're hoping it'll be equal. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the Fox broadcast is going to bring, but they did a great job last year. I assume they will this year. But, I mean, I think that's the sort of narrative here. Can they at least equal last year when, when you don't have as good a team? I, I think the answer is yes, because like I said, once the game starts, I mean, they are major league players, and if there's a, at least some drama, that'll be fun. And, and look, you hit a ball into the cornfield, you don't care what your record is. You're going yeah, into the cornfield. It's pretty and, awesome. And, and, and I did ask them, <laughs> I did ask the starting pitcher on the Cubs, at least through Smiley, if he thought the balls would be juiced. And, you know, I, I guess I was the first person to ask him that because it, it, he's like, wait a minute, maybe you're right. Because, of course, <laughs> we want to see some offense tonight. And on the other side, 
uh, several players said, yes, Jesse, I'm swinging for the cornfields. Yeah. Normally they don't admit that, Sarah, <laughs> but today they are. Yeah, very rare to get the opportunity to crush one uh, literally into uh, a field of corn. Uh, but in the yeah. Field of Dreams game, that's one of the coolest uh, scenes you can get. Jesse Rogers, ESPN MLB insider with me here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. One of the things that has been rumored, and Fox Sports didn't help any with a very vague tweet that just says tonight you'll see a seventh inning stretch that could only happen with the magic of the field of dreams with a cartoon of Harry Carey. Now the rumor is that some sort of Harry Carey hologram will be doing the seventh inning stretch. Very, very mixed reviews on this. I have seen people thrilled to see how they're going to pull that off and others that are deeply concerned. Jesse, do you have any intel on the hologram? Well, I'm told it's going to be better than you think. Okay. And this is, I think, an example of trying to do something different and but equal to last year, right? Maybe they exceed it. Maybe it's that cool. I have, I'm a little skeptical as well, but I'm all for trying different things. Like we said, which it's going to be hard to top last year. That, that, and, and that's the thing, you know, I was listening to Sports Talk Radio on the way in, and um, I mean, it's Iowa Sports Talk Radio, so it's a little different, <laughs> I suppose. But it, it, they were talking about, you know, uh, uh, the second time will be as, as fun as interesting and you, so you got to try some things the idea of harry carey singing the seventh inning stretch as you know uh, i grew up in chicago you you're you're a chicagoan i mean that's kind of cool in itself but they have to pull it off so yeah i'm told it's better than we think but but that's from the people that um Planned are, are in charge <laughs> yeah. of doing this so we'll, we'll see i i'll give an a for effort right right now but if the execution's a d i'll, I'll tell you tomorrow Jesse Rogers, ESPN MLB insider, who has long covered the Cubs, is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, I, I heard that there was a potentially going to be at least a pause, if not an end, to these games here because of construction. That's coming from Frank Thomas, who we all know from the other side of town, uh, legendary White Sox player. He's one of the owners who have who have purchased this Field of Dreams movie site, and I guess they're going to change a whole bunch of stuff. We won't be seeing a game here next year. That's right. They're going to try to pick it up again in 24, assuming all the construction's done. They're, they're doing they're doing some stuff uh, in, with youth baseball and softball. They're building up this this uh. area. I mean, I don't think I don't think Frank and other people got involved just for the once a year one game experience, right? I think there, there's a there's a little business behind this. I mean, in a, in a good way. I mean, but but yeah, it's unfortunate if they skip a year. But you know, maybe 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 that's not such a bad thing, and they go somewhere else. We know there's been a rumor that they'll play maybe in Indiana, League of Their Own, or, or another site, because it can get stale, right? These these right. things can get a little stale. So hopefully it doesn't go too commercial here, you know, with, with, with the youth sports. But, it, uh, you know what I mean? There's a fine line between, yes, doing something good for the community and, and turning into some cash cow. So we'll see. But that that is that is true. I don't believe there will be a game here next year, but they'll pick it up again in 24. Yeah, they're hoping people will show up for things like a boutique hotel at the Field of Dreams site, the youth baseball and softball fields, um, potentially more events year-round that will draw folks, and they will create a lot of jobs. And so if you're in that area and you're used to just the MLB game being the biggest thing every year, maybe a whole bunch more events that can be on that uh, magical site, as they say. Jesse, before we let you go, the all-important Nisei Lounge, one of the best bars near Wrigley Field. They have made their own Malort cocktail infused with baseballs. They are known for things like that. Asked a really great question this week on social, and so I want to posit it to you. So your favorite baseball team, let's say the one you watched growing up, whoever that is, 
is playing in the Field of Dreams game, what one player, past or present, alive or dead, would you most want to see pull a shoeless Joe and step out of the magical Iowa cornfield and start playing? It is a great question, and my team was the Cubs. I did grow up in in, in Chicago. Went, you know, to my first game at seven years old. Um, it, it, it's close. I, I mean, you know, it's obvious to say someone like Ryan Sandberg, right? And he's mm-hmm. here tonight, Hall of Famer, and that was kind of my era. I actually, you know, kind of liked uh, guys that weren't were off the beaten path a little bit. Um, I was a big Keith Moreland fan in 1984, but I actually really loved Bill Buckner as a Cub. Won okay. the batting title in, uh, with a three like twenty average, I believe it was three twenty four, something like that. Bill Buckner, you know, here's my youth, Sarah, for people that were were Cub fans. Yvonne DeJesus would strike out, Bump Wills would pop out, Bill Buckner would double. Dave Kingman would either hit a home run or strike out. That was the first inning of every Cub game. <laughs> so I know it sounds crazy. I could pick a Hall of Famer, but if Bill Buckner came on, hit a double down the line, I'd be right, right back to my youth. Yeah, I, I my answer is Ernie Banks uh, because, uh, you know, he always wanted to play more. And uh, we, we sure miss him uh, hanging around the ballpark saying – uh, Ernie things, things we would only hear from Ernie, like, are you too married? And when you get married, I'll marry you and making up rhymes for every year. Uh, Jesse, enjoy the game. Thanks so much for the time. Okay, Sarah, take care. Always good to hear from Jesse. We want to hear from you as well. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz is where you can answer that question from Nisei Lounge. Which of your favorite team's player would you want to walk through the corn and hop into the game? ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, a triple threat of protection with home auto and more. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, will we ever get to see Stew Falls? Somehow, some way, Jeff still thinks so. We'll get into it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain with you as always on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Jeff Turn of ESPN 1023 FM, AM 1000 Radio in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, is in for Fitz today. And this is the first time we've hosted a show together, but I've been on Jeff's show a couple times. And we got connected because of our unique affiliations with the Levitard show. I, of course, was the commish. And Jeff and his radio station have been on a multi-year, thus far, completely futile effort. <laughs> To, and by feudal, I mean futile and not feudal, although I imagine with Stugatz involved, it could become militaristic be as well. Yes. Um, year attempt, campaign, to get Stugatz, the former ESPN radio host who's oft seen alongside Dan Lebetard, to Sioux Falls to rename it Stew Falls. If you could very quickly update the people on just how rich of a package you put together for this ungrateful man who continues to spurn you. So uh, one day when I was in the shower back in 2017, the only place you could concoct a Stugatz day, we were supposed to have (laughs) Stugatz on for the first time, and I I came up with something stupid. I was like, hey, man, what what would we get you here with the Stugatz day? And he said yes. And so at that moment, I thought, all right, we're going to do this. And little did I know he was actually going to Stugatz to me for quite some time. I have flown (laughs) down to Miami multiple times on my Mm -hmm. own dollar. I have been fortunate to be on their show back when they were on ESPN Radio. In fact, when the Super Bowl was in Miami, he signed his John Hancock on a contract for us to actually come here. He literally signed John Hancock. 
Uh, and so we, we set up a great package, which included a private jet provided by the health company, the hospitals in Sioux Falls. We had wow. a key to the city. We actually had two mayors at one time, and part of their campaign was both of them were endorsing a Stu Gotts Day. Uh, we have this uh, Sanford International Champions Tour that comes through. So, you know, Freddie Couples and Jim Furyk and John Day, a lot of these guys play. And we have him hooked up with a $4,000 entry into the Pro-Am. Now we have sweetened the pot because there have been new negotiations recently. In fact, Oh, no. You're still was, at it? I you haven't texting- given up. As of today, I was literally texting with Mike Ryan and Stu Gatz, and I was oh, no. you know, and I was trying to put together this package for a month from now. I still believe it has a heartbeat, and I believe we're gonna get this done in 2022. I have thrown in. We're gonna rename a uh, a, a street in Sioux Falls uh, during Sioux Falls. We're gonna call it Wiener Lane, and uh, we're, oh, no. we're jo- oh, for no. John Wiener, and we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have like you know a parade. Um, he wants money. We're negotiating that, but. Sarah, you know, everyone believes this isn't going to happen. Uh, and, and I think I'm going to be able to actually one day pull this off. And I hope it's this year. Okay. I'm sad that you believe this. Uh, I'm, I'm sad <laughs> for you. I, I always uh, insist that people should be hopeful and optimistic. But when it comes to Stu Gott's following through on a promise or doing really anything that he didn't come up with for himself and doesn't result in either a massive payday um, or... Uh, self aggrandizing pheasant sticks at I, one point. I, I thought I'm that aware. would have sold it. <laughs> I mean, the num- for most people, the amount of money and, and the amount of benefits that have been thrown his way to try to lure him would be more than enough. I mean, you mentioned the golf tournament, it wasn't just an entry, it was like to play with John Daly. Yes, and like, yes. I mean, the, the, the perks were incredible. I think that by now you should know that nothing's getting him there if what you've already done hasn't. How do you up the ante? I don't know. We just keep throwing things at him. I think we're just going to pre-order him one of those new South Dakota medical marijuana cards and get him a bunch of heaters oh and just try to get I don't him think here. he needs that in Miami, though. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, Whatever you got in I South know. Dakota, I promise you, they're doing it better in Miami. They don't have walleyes and pheasants, okay? We're going <laughs> to catch walleyes oh, and, and catch if I remember correctly, pheasants. he wanted a private jet both ways. Yes, we got I mean, that. The, the, the hospital people, they're going to tell people they're busy that day. They're oh, going to go pick just, up Stu guys. I just, hey, Stu Gotts, hey, we got to make a quick stop. We've got some organs on board that are going to <laughs> hey, you know, need each other. Probably wouldn't and... be the first time that guy was on a private fair. jet with organs as well. So. Absolutely fair. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jeff Turner, VSPN, Sioux Falls, with me here on Spain and Fitz. And uh, we're talking about the many failed attempts to get Stu Gotts of the Levitard Stu Gotts show. Uh, Would you come out- if we actually got, could we get you on a commercial flight here if, uh, and, and not first class? We won't have any money yeah, left. Yeah, 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 of course Stugatz. not, yeah. Could we get you here to, to Sioux Falls? Stu Gods would already have to be there so that it would be guaranteed <laughs> that it was actually happening. I'll tell you a real quick story. You asked if I'd covered any training camps at the commercial yeah. break, and I said, no, that's not entirely true. Very randomly, our uh, ESPN 1000 in Chicago, when I was doing update stuff for them when I first started out, our show, Waddle and Sylvie, was being sent out to Jets camp. Oh, I'm not sure why. I'm really not. I'm not entirely sure why it was Jets camp that we were going to, but it was upstate uh, New York. And our flight got delayed. And both of the hosts, Waddle and Sylvie, decided the delay was too long and they didn't want to get in so late and went home, but didn't tell me. 
And I was, you know, in my 20s, like my yeah. first job in radio. So I fly all the way out to upstate New York, right by Cornell where I went to school. And it's three in the morning and, and I don't have any information for the rental car. I was supposed to be going with them, the hotel. So I have to get all that from our program director when I land. And I end up going to Jets camp by myself without any of the equipment to like do God knows what because both of the guys had completely bailed on me. I feel like that's exactly what it would be like. I would get all the way out there. I would endure the horrors of travel and Stu Gatz would never show. And those two guys that you mentioned are much more upstanding human beings. 100%. Than Stu Gatz. They can so actually be trusted and they still bailed. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I totally it, understand your trepidation. Yeah, well, we, we can never rely on Stu, that's for sure. It's Spain and Fitz. <laughs> uh, also some interesting news wanted to get to quickly out of the NBA um, Bill Russell's passing, of course, inspired a lot of um, folks to remember his legacy both on and off the court. And I think the NBA took into account how quickly we move past the legends of, of the past. And while his memory as a great winner will certainly continue to be talked about, they want to make sure his legacy as a person moves as well, uh, well into the future. And so they're going to retire the number six across the NBA and they're also going to honor next season Bill Russell with a shamrock commemorative patch on the shoulder of their jerseys. And then every court will have a shamrock-shaped logo with his number six on the sideline near the scorer's table. This is a wonderful thing to do. Uh, of course, you already have Lakers fans questioning the idea of having a shamrock either on their jerseys or on, their, on the court. Uh, but uh, I think those who don't remember Russell's legacy uh, – hopefully we'll be inspired to learn more about it by the NBA taking this this big step. I agree with you too. And it, this is reserved for just, you know, the Mount Rushmore of not only athletes, but human beings when you retire a jersey like this. Um, and I think, you know, the, the folks that currently have them, like LeBron, are grandfathered in. But at this point, maybe LeBron just says, I'm going to go to 23, or he wears it in, in honor of Bill Russell. And I hope that they get to a point where there's there's that day where they all wear number six, I think that would be really unique. I also yeah. think uh, for all of us that have never watched him play, it's great that we have this perspective, but it's also great that the people that are our kids and their kids will have this perspective of a great man that changed so much, not only within basketball, but within social circles as well. So round of applause for the NBA on doing this and uh, just deserved for such a great person. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like you mentioned, if any of the players currently wearing number six decide they, they want to uh, switch in honor of this. Uh, like you said, they're allowed to keep wearing it through their careers, but um, someone like LeBron or someone else may decide may decide to change. Uh, Jackie Robinson and Wayne Gretzky, the only major men's professional yep. athletes to have their numbers retired across the sport in which they play. Pretty big deal. I'm glad that Bill Russell was al alive for the honor of the MVP trophy since he isn't around to see this incredible honor. It's Spain and Fitz. Coming up, what's it like to walk in Sean McVay's shoes? And what does uh, our next guest think of the extension that he just got, knowing his trepidation about continuing to coach? We'll get into all of it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jeff Turn of ESPN 1023 Sioux Falls with me in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're going to get to Tom Brady's absence from camp, maybe give you an update on the preseason games going on. But our next guest is going to talk to us about a team that is hoping 
to make a return to the Super Bowl this year and had a lot of big questions that it faced even in the midst of all the celebrating after they won it all last year. Seth Wickersham joining to talk about his story on Sean McVay and the Rams in the wake of their Super Bowl win. Seth, one of the most fascinating things that I found in this story was your descriptions of McVay after that horrific 28-3 letdown when he was with the Falcons and how... There was a catatonic state similar to that after the win as well. So how just how deeply this person feels both success and failure. And, and I think that informs a whole lot of the story that you wrote. Hey, good to talk to you as always, Sarah. Um, yeah, I think you meant when, when they played the Patriots in the Super Bowl and they lost 13-3. to But yeah, yeah, it was interesting to hang out with Sean McVay because he – what interested me most about him – was that he was so publicly at war with himself. He had come into the scene, young as head coach in NFL history. He hasn't had a day under 500. He's not only had five straight winning seasons, but he's not had a day under 500. And then he, you know, caps this off with the Super Bowl. And, you know, just his public statements around the Super Bowl made it clear that he felt the way that he was working and what he done, what he had done to to reach this point was unsustainable. And a key part of that was that Super Bowl loss to New England. He thought they were going to win the game. They end up losing thirteen to three. They're in it till about midway through the fourth quarter. Yep. And he's with his parents and his then uh, girlfriend and now wife. And he was just in a near catatonic state. I mean, he just kept saying, "I can't believe it." His family was, you know, he told his family not to worry about him. They worried anyway. And then fast forward a couple of years, when they win the Super Bowl, I wanted to know what that morning after was like for him. And he, you know, was a little hungover, <laughs> running on, you know, maybe two hours sleep. And he looked himself in the mirror and he was wondering what it would feel like to be a Super Bowl winning coach. And rather than feeling like he had accomplished something, rather than feeling like he had put his name on a very exclusive list, he felt incredibly grateful and humble knowing how thin the line is in the NFL between being a Super Bowl winning coach and all of the blessings that come along with it and coming up on the short end again. And, you know, that part of it, again, that space in between, knowing how thin that line is and what it drives someone to do and how it nearly can drive them to nearly destroy themselves is what, I tried to explore in all my visits with Sean. And Seth, as I was reading through that piece too, it started to have me think about other dynasties that we've watched over the years in football and sort of maybe how their foundation started with, you know, either a developed coach or a younger coach. And you covered the Patriots so well, of course, in your book, it's better to be feared, but how different do you see the foundation of what may be a budding dynasty in LA? They have all the pieces there, a new stadium, all the money and a ton of talent. And then this great coach, versus maybe the foundation of what the Patriots put together, which would have been the most recent dynasty in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously so many iterations of the Patriots dynasty, right? But, (laughs) um, I mean, I I think the key ingredient, obviously, is you have an elite quarterback um, in their prime. And obviously, Belichick had Tom Brady at age 24 and brought him along to become the superstar that he became. Matthew Stafford's a little bit older, um, and, you know, obviously dealing with some elbow pain this, this preseason. But um, we'll see. I mean, it's one of the things I talked about with him where I said, you know, 
everyone who wins a Super Bowl thinks this is just the beginning of something, right? right. I mean, they yeah. all think, hey, you know, we finally were able to overcome this one thing, and now there's more out there, and we've seen just how hard it is, even for teams that we thought were going to be multiple Super Bowl winners. You know, maybe the New Orleans Saints, Green Bay Packers, Kansas City Chiefs, all these teams that we thought, hey, you know, they're just at the beginning and they're starting something that's going to be sustained for a long time. It turns out it is, you know, even Seattle Seahawks, it is not sustained. And that's what's going to be so fascinating because Sean McVay has, you know, torn himself apart to get to where he is. And, you know, the idea that there's an inevitable losing season waiting for him as long as he coaches, because every great coach goes through them, you know, is something that he knows could happen, but he's taught himself to believe that it just won't to the point where it's hard for him to conceive it. Like when Black Monday happened this past January, where, of course, you know, a lot of coaches are fired and they change regimes, his wife said to him, you know, what would you do if you were like, you know, on one of those losing teams and you ended up getting fired. And McVeigh was like, why the F would you ever think that way? That's just, that's not going to effing happen. And it sounded cocky, but really underneath it was a fear of the losing that would precede firing. He's not scared of being fired. He's scared of the losing that would happen. And that is, it's fascinating to me because He's like everybody else thinking like, hey, we might be better this year than we were last year, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean we're going to win another Super Bowl, even though that's the goal. Yeah, you talk about how he recognizes how many little things have to go right or could go wrong on en route to winning it all in the story. And, and I think that scares him a little bit as he thinks about the future, particularly after reaching the top of the mountain. It's Spain and Fitz, Jeff Turner, VSPN Radio in Sioux Falls is with me, filling in for Fitz as we talk to Seth Wickersham, ESPN uh, senior writer. Um, and I do want to apologize to the Rams for misspeaking and calling them the Falcons. That Super Bowl was in Atlanta. They did not blow a big lead, but it was depressing. And you don't deserve <laughs> to take on the pain of the Falcons in addition to the actual pain of that game. Well, and the Rams almost kind of duplicated it against yeah. the Bucks this year in the playoffs. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I understand how the, you know it was a different result, but it was it, they were there were two sides of almost the same coin. Same, exactly. Um, you know, you mentioned his fiance Veronica and how he somehow hopes to find balance, despite understanding that that's almost impossible for people who are great at what he does. And I think it also reminds me of the balance that he told you he wanted to find between. Uh, what his dad did and what his grandpa did. Mm -hmm. Can you quickly speak to how those two influences have sort of made him who he is? Well, his grandfather is a Hall of Fame finalist, John McVay, five-time Super Bowl champion executive with the 49ers. His dad played college football, thought about going into coaching, but ended up going into television. He became a television executive instead. And it was one of the reasons why he did that was because he saw – the toll of the 49er championships and really wanted to be around his family more. And I think that Sean had that innate competitiveness and that drive and that torture. And he grew up with a very clear eyed view of what it requires to be great in football. It wasn't like the rose colored, you know, hokey view of it. It was very real. And I think that when people we're kind of wondering, hey, does he want to be his grandfather or his father? He, he wanted to try to do both, however naive and noble that is. And 
when he got a head coaching job, of course, you know, here, this is where we are. I mean, he's off to an unbelievable start to his career. He has a chance at this age and with so much winning behind him to go down as one of the greats if he can keep going. And again, it's the question of whether it's sustainable. I think that um, he, you know, he knows that balance is impossible, but I think he's trying to find ways for a bit more balance. And working from home, ironically, is one of those things. Um, and that's a double-edged sword as well, because when he's in a bad mindset, he tends to want to retreat so that his mood doesn't infect the entire building. But in his absence, you know, the building is there without a leader, and he has a very infectious personality. And so sometimes he has to fight himself and bury his feelings, especially after losses, to try to be the leader that the building needs him to be. And that yeah. it takes much more energy than people realize. Well, he obviously found a way to reconcile it because he signed that extension and he's back. He's back for more of the good and the bad. Uh, fascinating read, Seth. Really excellent job. Thanks so much for giving us a little insight into him. We didn't even have time to ask you about Brady's absence. I'm sure you've got <laughs> the inside scoop, but we won't put you on the spot unless you have all of the answers. I have no, I don't have the answers. All right. All right. <laughs> Seth Wickersham, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Ari's good to talk to you, bud. <laughs> yes, we had senior writer. Go check out the full story about McVeigh. It's a really excellent read, really fascinating look, and he was very open with him about all of his struggles in being one of the best. Coming up, speaking of Brady, should Bucks fans be worried about this preseason absence? We'll get into it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. During the commercial break, we learned Jeff's favorite quarterback is Kirk Cousins. He's real high on Cousins, thinks they're going to win the division this year. Apparently the Packers are not going to be playing. Uh, I feel fine about that that statement when it comes to the Bears and the Lions, but the Packers, eh, come on. I'm not saying they're not making the playoffs. I'm just saying that they're not going to win the division. You know, I mean, the one right. team one team will make the playoffs as a wild card. One will make it as the division winner. I'll take the Vikings slightly. Well, Sarah, I'm glad as, uh, you, uh, in yeah. the flavor of this show, is that a good take or a hot take? That is a hot take. Uh, I'm glad that somebody believes in Kirk Cousins. He's fine. He's fine. But I'm not choosing uh, him and the Vikings over the Packers, sadly. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jeff Turn of ESPN 1023 AM 1000 Radio in Sioux Falls is with me here in for Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We were talking about Cousins because he's been sent home with an illness. We don't know yet whether it's COVID or otherwise, but uh, potentially doubtful that he'll be playing in that preseason game coming up. Meanwhile, we do have two games going on now with about six minutes to play in the second. The Pats are up 7-3 on the Giants in their first preseason action. The other game has Baltimore up 7-0 on Tennessee at the beginning of the second. Uh, you know, we're seeing some Daniel Jones in the first game. We are not seeing any Mac Jones, uh, and the Pats offense is really what we wanted to get a look at. Not Brian Hoyer, who has a 124.5 rating and looks quite strong. We wanted to see the real offense, but we'll have to wait for that. Uh, in the meantime, we also will have to wait, potentially, to get more information on Tom Brady's uh, absence from the Bucks. It is decided upon with the team well before camp started, apparently may have even been part of his terms on a deal coming out after uh, retirement, um, where 
we rarely mentioned, but <laughs> he tried to retire, go to the Dolphins, become a player owner, tucked his tail between his legs and came back to the Bucks, and no one seems to care. So understanding that the fans have taken that news pretty well, I imagine they'll also take this news uh, pretty well and not be too concerned, Jeff. Yeah, I don't think it's something to be concerned about. Do you have a problem with him, though, uh, not being upset that Brady tried to leave them and come back? Like, we can always make the relationship conversations about sports. But in this situation, um, it's like, you know, you lose, you know, the, the super hot significant other and then they decide to come back to you and you're just grateful that they decided to come <laughs> back to you. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I would be, as a Bucks fan, very happy no matter what Brady does as long as he's playing week one. And in this case, it being predetermined, I don't think that there's too much concern there other than maybe for what Brady's potentially going through off the field. Yeah, I don't really blame them because he's one of those players that is so good that it doesn't really matter why he's coming back or that he tried to leave. He's going to be around for you. And if you're the Bucks, you want as many years as possible with Tom Brady. Um, and that was such a weirdly reported story, and it flew under the radar for so long. And even now, as the Dolphins are getting penalized, pretty serious fines and penalties for tampering with Brady. The rest of the story about him potentially trying to link up with the Dolphins in an ownership way, in a way that would have required every other owner to sign off on him getting out of his contract and then becoming a player. Like, all of it was very strange, and I think that partly allowed Bucks fans to sort of, la la la, we didn't hear it, let's get back to the season. Uh, what, they, what we do know is that he will be out until August 20th, that he had a personal situation to take care of that it was pre-planned before camp started uh and Dinah Rossini was on this just in talking about what we do know yeah since we don't know the specifics of the situation and head coach Todd Bowles was was as open as he could be that this is a personal matter uh you, usually when a player has something scheduled like this because Bowles added that this was something discussed before the start of the preseason that usually means it's something family related and, it, and it's something that the team is obviously okay with him doing. So I don't want to sit here and begin guessing as to what's going on here, but from the conversation I had over text message with a Tampa Bay source, they seem to be very cool, calm, collected about the whole situation, knowing that this was on the calendar. They all knew about it. We just didn't know about it. Yeah, and I think that's part of it too, Jeff, is the fact that they knew before camp even started means that they probably altered and made sure to get as much as of what they needed uh, before this break. Yeah, and I think the only caveat to that and the wrinkle is that they planned before preseason to have this happen. They did not plan for Ryan Jensen to get hurt for a significant mm -hmm. amount of time. And if there's other than the left tackle that's going to protect your backside as a right-handed throwing quarterback, there's nothing more important than your relationship with your center. And so now that you have someone that's at least been familiar with the organization being drafted by them uh, a year or so ago and at least having those reps involved, it's not some player they just signed a as a veteran in free agency, that at least gives them some, some familiarity. And I'm sure at some point he had taken reps with Brady just to be ready in case an injury ever happened to Ryan Jensen. But that part of it is what I think – is going to be a little bit of a concern, but I think you probably, once that injury happened to now, being the pro that Brady is, knowing this was upcoming and none of us knowing that, he's probably been working double time with his new center, hoping that that chemistry will be created much sooner than when he returns.
It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jeff Turner, VSPN 1023 FM, Sioux Falls, South Dakota is in for Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, we did get a Malik Willis rushing touchdown for the Titans in one of these two preseason games Woo-hoo! tonight. And a nice run, too. He sort of takes the ball to the right, sees a, a, a bunch of guys, spins, turns, runs left, jukes a dude right before uh, the end zone and takes it in for the touchdown. So I'm sure Titans fans like to see that out of the rook. Um one of his first plays uh, in the pro level, even if it is just the preseason. Can you, uh, can you, uh, Sarah, real quick, can you remember a team that was a number one seed the previous year in recent history that literally gets overlooked by everybody? I mean, the Titans were the number one overall mm-hmm. seed in the AFC last year. And I think right now people are going, all right, the Texans are probably going to be at the bottom of the division. What do the Jags do to move up? But nobody's talking about the Titans being the best in that division. I think most people think the Colts will be. I agree, and I think, weirdly, uh, it was just the way the Titans went out. It was like a lot of people didn't have a lot of confidence in them. Tannehill had such an ugly game with those three picks. Um, And it's kind of crazy to consider that the Titans came in not looking that strong, and they barely lost to Joe Burrow and the Bengals, who ended up making quite a run. Um, It's kind of surprising. You look back, and the hype around the Bengals – uh, is pretty good this year, that they have a good reason to try to back up what they did last year and, and make another run. Meanwhile, the Titans not getting a lot of attention, and they, they only lost on that field goal. Yeah, they did, and I think that's what's funny, too. A lot of times when people lose to a team that makes it to the Super Bowl, it becomes the narrative in the offseason. We were very close to being that. But uh, with, with Tennessee, I think Derrick Henry being healthy, Ryan Tannehill being motivated after that loss, uh, I think Tennessee is going to be a very good football team this year, and we always know they're going to play good defense under Mike Vrabel. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the Titans. I am one of those people that's soured a bit on them and felt like in the end that that number one seed, I believed in him last year and I believed in Tannehill in those situations. And that game uh, was a rough one. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. We'll keep you updated on the preseason games if we see anything worth mentioning. Again, most of the superstars not playing, but we'll let you know. Coming up, final games of the regular season for the WNBA are today and this weekend. Closing out the season on Sunday. What's the race look like? We'll get into it. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you as always on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Jeff Turn of ESPN 1023 FM, AM 1000 Radio in Sioux Falls, South Dakota is in for Fitz tonight. Sunday is the end of the regular season for the WNBA. And while there are certainly some teams very securely in the postseason, <clears throat> my Chicago Sky, There are also plenty of teams battling it out for a spot, and it's about as tight as it could possibly get with the last couple games here. So to join us and help us figure out who's likely to make it and who's likely to go home sad, it's just like The Bachelor, Alexa Philippou of ESPN, our women's basketball reporter, who wrote a great story on .com breaking down all the different scenarios. Let's start with last night. We had links over Mercury, Liberty over Wings. How did those affect the playoff hunt? Yeah, that was absolutely huge yesterday. Um, The biggest thing really was that, well, the Liberty winning kept them in the race, but the real 
intense game was that Lynx Mercury battle. And, you know, for anyone that's really just tuning in today, it's for the craziness that's happened in the WNBA landscape. The Mercury without Skylar Diggins Smith, um, it kind of came up last minute. And then we learned today that she'll be out the remaining of the regular season. So the Mercury actually almost had the Lynx. I thought they could pull it off without Skylar and Diana Taurasi, who's out with an injury. But uh, the Lynx pulled through, and now that win uh, really put them in a great position to to potentially make the playoffs after they had a really, really tough start to the season. So um, big outcomes yesterday, and we have another great slate of games tonight and for, you know, the next few days really to see how everything shakes out. Yeah, and potentially a matchup that we may find ourselves watching in the WNBA Finals this evening as well, which we'll probably get to in a second. But when you look at those teams, five through eight, Washington, Dallas, Minnesota, Atlanta, you know, New York and Phoenix on the outside looking in, is there one of those six teams that you believe as the postseason would progress that they could you know, potentially pose a big challenge for one of those top four teams and maybe make a deep run as a, as a lower seed? Yeah, well, it's funny that the Mystics are the five seed because they don't really feel like they should be a five seed, especially when they're healthy and they have Elena Deladon on the floor who's been playing incredible basketball as she's been navigating uh, her comeback from you know all those back issues she's had the last three years. So that four or five matchup, which we know will happen in the first round between the Seattle Storm and Washington Mystics, that is just insane to me that that'll be a first round series that we're going to get. But I wouldn't count the Mystics out, even though they're the lower seed there. Um, I think, realistically, I don't see as much um, in terms of the lower seeds that could make the playoff, anyone making a, a ton of noise. But the Dolphins also have been playing well as of late. And I know all, a lot of basketball fans are rooting for Sylvia Fowles to go off um, running um, into the sunset as she goes and um, you know goes to retire. So if the Lynx kind of get some magic going there, if they're able to make it and make it even a deeper run than most expect, then I think that would be a nice surprise. But a lot of basketball fans would love to see that for Sylvia Fowles in particular. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jeff Turn in for Fitz, and we're talking to Alexa Filippo of ESPN Women's Basketball Reporter. You talk about Deladon. It kind of reminds me of the sky last year. A lot of people who weren't watching sort of thought, oh, this is a deep-seated team that made a run in the playoffs. Well, that's because CP was out for a big stretch in the regular season, and when Candace Parker isn't there, they're a different team. That's the same as this Mystics team. Um, you, uh, Sorry, this yeah, this Mystics team. If you have Elena Deladon in there, they are a completely different squad. You do not want to see them, even if they are a lower seed. So it's going to be fascinating to see which teams actually get stronger in the postseason and which ones have suffered from injury or otherwise. And, you know, like you mentioned with Phoenix, with, with DT out, with Diggins Smith out, that's a team that was already struggling. And now, even if they do eke in, what is that going to look like for them? You know, one of the interesting things, too, is looking at how the changed format will affect teams that do make it to the postseason. Formatting has changed how it will look in 2022. What do fans need to know ahead of these playoffs and how home advantage and everything else could be huge here? Yeah, so the biggest difference is that instead of single elimination games, which was what we had the last few years, it's going to be automatically um, go to series. And there's not a you know, buys for the top team. So um, right now it looks like, you know, some teams have already locked in home court advantage or will, will likely to. And so um, that plays a factor uh, in of itself. I, I think the biggest thing though, is like, we just don't quite know what it'll, what things will look like in a series. Like are certain teams going to be better suited to, um, to have more success in a series or other teams not built for that. 
And especially when you think of injuries or teams, I know one of the teams we haven't talked a lot about right now is the Aces. Uh, there was a lot of questions throughout the season whether or not the Aces just because of the lack of depth they have, if you know how they would fare in a series, uh, especially with the style they play. And now we we are also learning this week that Dierka Handy um, could be out for two to four weeks. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it, how it plays out. And um, I think for the most part, people are really excited for the format change, but we'll have to see too once it actually gets going, um, how everything kind of shakes out. And for momentum and for branding, the WNBA has never been at a better place. And now you're on the precipice of what's going to be a fascinating playoffs here. And you're talking about series and things that, you know, I think, you know, general fans are going to be very excited about. Do you think the league and the players sense um, how cool these next few weeks are going to be from a viewership standpoint, from an interest standpoint, and just from an on-the-court standpoint? Yeah, I think, honestly, going back for the last maybe few years, the players and everyone around the league has really sensed that the popularity of the league has grown. Um, You see the numbers, um, you know, viewership-wise, you see increased, you know, jersey sales and all the other metrics that show that people are interested in women's basketball and they want to watch the WNBA. So I think there's definitely a lot of excitement around that, especially this year, because it seems really wide open. And I know a lot of people think it could be really any one of four or five teams that could take them the title. And we don't always have that in the WNBA, at least in the last few years, it it was kind of a clear favorite or two, but it really seems wide open. I think it only helps with the interest and, um, you know, people want to watch and, and see what happens. Yeah, there's been a lot of great storylines in addition to the parody and the excellent play. We've got Sue Bird's final year, Sylvia Fowles final year. You've got the drama around Liz Cambage. You've got the number of divorces, which is a new term that no one can find the root of, but everything is now a contract <laughs> divorce between teams and players, Tina Charles, etc. Um, so all those storylines uh, that are getting people really fired up. Before we let you go, and we're talking to Alexa Philippou, ESPN women's basketball reporter, wrote a great story for .com, breaking down all of the different parts of the uh, final race the last couple days before the regular season is over. What about MVP race? I'm seeing the Storm advocate for Stewie on the basis of her unbelievable three-point shooting this year. A lot of people would tell you Asia Wilson Wilson should get it. Uh, is there a front runner for you? So I'm on the record as being incredibly torn. Depending <laughs> on what hour you ask me, I'm going between Stewie and Asia. Um, Stewie... I think the argument for Stewie is that she's done more with less around her um, in comparison to Asia, but Asia has had such an incredible season, has really grown into such an incredible defender. She's obviously getting it done on the offensive end, playing the five, you know, where she, she played the four previously in her pro career. So, um, and she's really what made the Aces kind of go and have this incredible season, too. So I, I don't think you can go wrong, personally. I don't know what I will vote for Sunday at 1159. Um, <laughs> they're both very deserving players. So that's a cop-out for me. <laughs> yeah, we'll give it to you. We'll allow it. Hey, Alexa, thanks so much for the time. Excellent work on the story, and good luck with that vote. Thank you. I appreciate it. Alexa Philip, who follow her, read her. Uh, so many races coming down to the wire here. A really just an unbelievable. Uh, some of the folks that are putting out the very specific, you know, one game away, one win away, uh, and the matchups that we're going to be seeing. Jeff, I know you. Uh, 
she was talking about the links and obviously Sylvia Fowles, a, a storied career um, and and someone that a lot of folks are, are giving their flowers to on her way out. One of the great players from the links. Uh, you used to go check out those games sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I went to college up there and, you know, being three and a half hours away from Minneapolis, if we're up there in the summer, you'd always try to grab a game here and there. But yeah, I think the, the, the COVID situation in the bubble and, and allowing you know people that maybe wouldn't tune in seeing sports uh, in, in a different world and something that they hadn't watched before brought new fans in. And she was right. The last two years, I think, it's on a different level. And for me, I've watched more WNB the last two years than I probably did the previous 10, and I've probably watched less Lynx games. I've watched the league <laughs> as a whole. Yeah. And just that game with the Sky and Connecticut the other day, the buzzer, you know, a three-pointer late. Uh, that was a huge shot. Yeah, I, I was just, at that game. Were you? That was. I was watching that too uh, online. I, I just find myself enthralled with basketball, and the WNBA is at the highest level. I absolutely love the product they got right now. You know, I completely uh, love that you said that because so many people that are advocates for women's sports uh, really say that that's all you need is awareness and prime placement. And what happened for the WNBA bubble during the COVID run was that a lot of people who maybe hadn't seen the games and watched it got a chance to and recognized how great it is. Yep. And so that's that's what we're asking. The investment, the attention, people talking about it, debating it, you know, going over the games, all of that is what drives interest. And we see it with everything from the Olympics to the Little League World Series. If you put it on and you tell people it's important, they will watch and get into it. And the game is such a great product. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that you're on board, and uh, hopefully people will keep watching and, and joining the party. It's a good party. Coming up, we asked you who you'd like to see from your favorite baseball team walk out of those magical Iowa cornfields and have a, have, have a catch, play a game. Uh, we'll update you on that and the score in the Field of Dreams game coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I'm a little worried about the safety of the fans who attend a Minnesota Vikings home game. Not the Minnesota fans, but anybody else. I'll tell you why. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jeff Turner, ESPN 102.3 FM Radio in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Jeff just alerted me to a quote from the new head coach of the Vikings, Kevin O'Connell. And it sounds harmless, if it just means, hey, fans, I hope you buy a lot of tickets, but it could go very wrong, Jeff. Why don't you explain? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if this was, you know, the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings making this statement about a, you know, non-divisional matchup, you know, to, to start the season on September 11th at U.S. Bank Stadium, maybe there'd be less, you know, concern about the individuals that'll potentially be attending this game. But Kevin O'Connell was uh, at practice on Monday night. A bunch of fans were there as well. The new head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, and he had a very impassioned plea to those Vikings fans that were out there in purple. He said, and I quote, at our stadium, we should never, ever, ever see the other team's colors in the stands. I don't oh, no. want to see any green. I don't want to see any yellow at U.S. Bank Stadium on September 11th. Now, as you said, Sarah, this could lead one to believe that he was trying to get fans to buy up all the tickets and not resell them on StubHub or whatever and, and try to get – as many Vikings fans actually in the stands. On the other hand, you mentioned it. This could be also a plea to rip off the clothing of the opposing <laughs> fans and throw it and then beat, beat the, the crap ever out living of crap out of yeah, them. Man. So like, I mean, it's just a four-hour drive from Green Bay. My yeah. guess is you're gonna get some Packers fans who live there or who make the trip. 
Yeah, he didn't say he didn't want to see any black and blue. I mean, he wants to see the black and blue of their faces, right. apparently, exactly. after they beat the crap out uh, of them. Be careful, so, Kevin. I don't think you understand what you're dealing with here in the NFC North uh, no. situation. Uh, this this isn't L.A., man, where everybody's just free, <laughs> free, happy hippies. This is Minnesota, man. They're crazy careful. up there. They drink a careful. lot of beer. Oh, man. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that situation. Uh, I, I can guarantee you Packers fans will hear that as a challenge. Oh, my God. And they are more looking to buy those tickets than yes. ever before now. Yes. Uh, speaking of rivalries, uh, the Cubs and the Reds have a bit of one. Uh, not as much as the Cardinals, of course. But anytime we can take on the Red Legs and show them who's boss, we're down to do so. That's a thing. And right now, yeah, right <laughs> oh, now the Cubs are up 4 nothing on the Reds in the Field of Dreams game. Uh, Wilson Contreras had an ankle sprain coming around second, but pulled himself together and went back out there. I'm not sure if that's just a matter of wanting to play in a game this special or if uh, it wasn't as bad as it looked, but it seemed a little dicey heading back in. Uh, it's hard to blame him, though, when you get the opportunity to play in something this special, this, this you know, one-of-a-kind. Uh, so he obviously wanted to get back in. It's fun to watch. I mean, the, the uniforms, Jeff, have been a little similar for some folks, uh, just slightly different light-colored. One's got stripes, one doesn't. One C looks like the Red Sea. The other one also does because it's the old-fashioned Cub C that looks like uh, exactly the same. Uh, so a little bit, uh, a little bit visually difficult. But other than that, the result so far has me pretty happy. Well, I bet it does, and I, I absolutely love this event. Uh, I've been there. A couple of times, I've got to play baseball on the field that's adjacent that they let you play on. I've got to tour the facility, got to walk out of the corn. So for me, there's Fun. that that part. I mean, I, I love the facility. I love the game. I've never been like the, the biggest uh, Field of Dreams movie fan, but I, I think like everything that comes along with this and how many people do actually love the movie makes this such a special night. I, you know, normally would kind of roll my eyes at people saying the simplicity of going to the Midwest and the tractors and the corn and the baseball and it's all good. But there is something about our current end times that make me appreciate yes. that yes. and actually totally understand why people might just want to go to the middle of nowhere and remember whatever they felt when they watched Field of Dreams years ago and didn't yet understand the complexities of life and society. Hey, that's a great point. If you consider where we are with everything in this world and it being so polarizing, what is the opposite of polarizing? Yeah. Corn in Iowa. Okay? Iowa like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I will say there's, there's certainly probably some problems problematic aspects to both the movie and the uh, event, but we don't need to get into those. We no. can just keep it simple. We love corn and we love baseball. Um, we asked you guys if your favorite team was playing in this field of dreams game, what one player from the past or present alive or dead, would you most want to see step out of the corn and play in the game? And we got some really good answers. Um, uh, first, I, I appreciate Angry Bears fan dad man always listening and never playing by the rules. He said Wild Thing Vaughn. Okay, that's not a real team. Uh, that is from a movie as well, but we would like to see that for sure. Um, uh, Babe Ruth, Jose Fernandez said one person. Someone wants prime Albert Pujols. Ron Santo I got a lot of, and his love for the game and his enthusiasm would certainly make him a fun one here. My answer, which a couple other people said was Ernie Banks. Uh, wanted to play too, wanted to play more, and was almost like a grandpa to a lot of us Cubs fans when he'd hang around the ballpark before he passed. And so I would love to see the joy that he would have walking out of that corn and getting to play in his prime 
uh, Ted Williams, Kurt Flood, 90s Griffey Jr., uh, Air Bud. I, I thought Air Bud was strictly a basketball player, but if he can handle the bat, I'm here yeah. for it. Uh, Steve Carlton, Willie Mays, Cal Ripken Jr., Cecil Fielder Sr., Don Mattingly, Lou Gehrig. Um, a lot of folks saying guys like Ryan Sandberg, um, Roberto Clemente, a lot of people are saying. Uh, Willie Mays. I think a lot of the old ones are the ones that you think would be the most special. And a lot of people saying it's cliche. It's the one in the movie, but Shoeless Joe would be pretty cool. So as a Braves fan, I'd I'd actually like to see a manager. I'd like to see Bobby Cox roll out of the oh, corner okay. and go okay. manage the game. Now, how about this one? Let's throw a twist at you. What, your Cubs fan, what Cub would you not want to walk out of the field? Like, who's the number one uh, Milton Bradley? Okay, for me, it's John Rocker. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're both problematic, is, yes. to say the very least. John Rocker would be number one on my list. Um, and then, like, as a kid, um, I, I was such a big Braves fan, so when we would get let down in the World Series, those people, Mark Wallers might be up there, too, because he cost us a World Series. I, I think there's always that, that list of people. Uh, you guys would throw Bartman out there, too, through the corn, wouldn't you? No, no, no. Bartman, I think any one of us of sound mind has, you know, zero ill will for Bartman. Okay. Never okay. had ill will for Bartman. Actually, we're embarrassed by the way fans treated the guy and want him to just be left alone. Um, so, no. Okay, I would, not Bartman. I would love for Bartman to do whatever he wants, and so far it's been <laughs> to be left alone. Yeah. So I would never invite him out there and ask him to come out if he's if he's not what, into it. What part of the generations, like if you had to go like generations, what what would you bring? Would you bring out the old school guys like Ruth and all those? Would you bring out those that made the game great in the seventies? For me, mm. I, I was a steroid uh, fan. Like I, yeah. I, that was my favorite time in baseball. I love them to just trot out like McGuire and Sosa. Oh and God, Bonds no thanks. Seiko. No, no, just thanks. right out of the corner and then just have a home run derby at home plate. I think the coolest would be, so where where baseball, oh, Mariano Rivera is a decent one, Bill Buckner because he needs a hug. Um, <laughs> I think baseball, where it gets me, is the nostalgia, especially as a Cubs fan, and I think you kind of have to go to that when your team has been bad for as long as we were, is you connect to the things that connect you to the people that came before you, and 108 years of, of disappointment makes you feel connected to all the people who watched and, and lost along with you in the past. So I think I always want to go as old school as possible and, and have them out there. Yeah, I think all of it would be great because this field provides that backdrop for yeah. what's just going to be a fun baseball experience regardless of who's involved. Yeah, and, and I feel like the old time you guys walk out and they look like they – fit in the picture that's yep. being painted right now by this. Hey, speaking of that, um, Mariano Rivera and Babe Ruth are both going to be on Freddie Fitzsimmons. It's going to be a hologram. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> Can't wait. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.